What's up, guys? Roy here, and you are listening to the Balance Mill Podcast Series. Now, today's episode is titled... (laughs) I'm really excited about this title because I called it Whiskey and God. And I entitled that because uh, I'm drinking whiskey right now, a delicious whiskey called Red Breast. And the theme of this episode is, is, is God. It's, it's spiritual stuff. And I know that the last few episodes have been centered on dads. And you know, a podcast is called the Balanced Male Podcast Series. And you could be wondering why would spiritual stuff or God or anything have a place in this podcast. And I kind of want to go back to a few things that I said in an episode or two before where I talked about my search for balance in life. And in me finding balance, I noticed that there are four areas of my life that I have to essentially feed in order for me to find balance. And my pillars are physical, uh, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And I know that for me, I need to be feeding some of those or all of those at some point in my life. And so I can't in good conscience do this podcast without spending time talking about God and talk about my struggles with religion and and what I'm learning, what I'm seeing, um, how I think religion plays a part in my life, how Christianity plays a part in my life, and, and how I think it can play a part in all of our lives. And for those of you who know me or know my backstory, know that I was a part of a, a very intense church, a church that I think, <laughs> when I think about it, left me with no balance, left me super imbalanced, and left me with a lot of questions that I'm seeking out you know, now. And so uh, that's, that's essentially what this podcast is going to be about. I'm just talking about things I'm seeing, talk about things I'm learning, And the good thing is it won't just be me talking. I have a friend of mine here, Andrew, who some of you will know from the very first Dad Talk episode. Um, Wow, that was was a year and a half ago. And um, so I brought him on for one because he is a minister. Uh, Also, we've had many conversations about God, about spiritual stuff and I thought the dialogue that we could have in this would be incredibly insightful and also fun but also I think that having when you're talking about this kind of topic it's it's fun to have someone that you can like shoot things off with and like throw things out there see what they think of um, with this conversation so um just to reintroduce yourself, Andrew, kind of say who you are, all that good stuff. Okay. Greetings, friends. My name is Andrew Schwartz, and uh, what I've learned is that if you want to uh, turn the volume down at any kind of social engagement, a party, or an outing, just tell people you're a minister and watch the awkwardness pursue from there. I had went to opening day 
uh, baseball game last year, you know, 2019 season with my friend and his his family uh, didn't know me and aren't comfortable being around church people. So he told everyone I was a beer distributor, <laughs> which was great because it was like no awkwardness and all that being around people who aren't comfortable with church. And But I, I find myself, um, well, it's a joy to be here first. It's a great opportunity, a gift. I'm sitting here in Roy's house next to this incredible person and so 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 grateful i feel relaxed i feel non-anxious and in this season of global pandemic to to feel relaxed and not just because the whiskey but just to feel relaxed is really a gift because there's been a lot of days and evenings where i don't feel relaxed and um so i really find myself in a in a strange situation because i there's a there's a, a verb an active verb going around um, called deconstruction where you're taking your faith that you were given or that you were raised with and you're kind of tearing it apart or allowing it to fall apart and so I've been going on a a process that started unintentionally and then became intentional deconstruction of my faith before I was a pastor started ten years ago or something like that with a book someone gave me that a lot of um, a lot of people that I, at least in my circles, have referenced a book by Brian McLaren called A New Kind of Christian, which came out sort of a few years after the uh, 2004 or five or something like that, and really opened the mind to a lot of people to say, I've been asking these very same questions. I didn't know that we have permission or a place to, to, to say these things. And, and um, so I'm just really glad to be here. And... Um, I'm excited to see where this goes. I, I pastor a Methodist church in uh, in Chesapeake, Virginia, and I've been the pastor there for a little over, uh, well, I just started my fourth year, and I've been in um, youth ministry and worship and other kinds of ministry pretty much my whole life. So that's me. Awesome. I like that you were talking about deconstruction of faith because it kind of, <laughs> I think that, I deconstructed the crap out of my faith about uh, 12 years ago. Um, you know, it, I wanted to start kind of again with a why of this is be- is because so I was watching this podcast and uh, it was a Rich Roll podcast and he had An- uh, Andrew Morgan on and Rob Bell and Andrew Morgan was the director of the documentary above Rob Bell called The Heretic, and it was it was all about Rob Bell after he made Love Wins and how his life sort of changed dramatically from this huge mega pastor to what he is now because of his book where he says there might not be a hell. Um, but so Andrew Morgan said this quote that he says that we were given – we as in like people in their 30s and 40s um we were sort of given this very narrow religion and that was and that religion didn't really fit in this complicated world that we live in and a lot of us couldn't handle it and so we just let it fall by the wayside or we reacted and negatively towards it or we um, we just left. But then as we got older, 
we notice this ache within us that doesn't go away. And we want to know, we want to dive deep into that ache. We want to understand that ache. We want to know, well, is there a place for God in our lives? Is there a place for the word Christianity in this world? Um, and that really resonated with me because I feel like where I'm at right now in my life is that place, is that place of like, there's this thing that I keep coming back to. And no matter how hard I try, it's always there. And I was, you know, I left the church when I was 28 and I'll be 40 next year. Um, and when I left the church, I, you know, I said, fuck it all. There's no place for this in my life. And I basically took whatever that faith was and it was all an incredible lie. Um, it was, it was, it was a faith that was built on, um, narcissism, on hierarchy, on, um, you're not good enough on works and there's no place for that in my life. And so I left it and I was like, nope, burn it all down. There's no place for it. But then as I got older, no matter how, whatever path I took, whatever book I read, I've read a lot of interesting books that will probably come up in this talk that to help me sort of like almost reconstruct it, it always, God, the Bible, Christianity always kept showing up. And I know that there's people that are feeling this, that feel this and have experienced stuff like this. And we don't know what to do with it. What do we do with this thing? Cause, cause this desire, if we let it and we focus on it could just lead us back to the pain and suffering. And that's one way to look at it. But then there's like, for me, what I'm noticing is if it's still there, then there's got to be something. And so that's the purpose. Because I want to, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And if there's, if there is a place for it in my life, then let's have it. Let's go. You know, I'm all about connecting to whatever this is. I'm always searching for meaning. So that's where I'm at with that. So, so yeah, it's just rediscovering. Yeah. And I think if there's, there's one thing, I mean, there's people that, that feel this. I mean, I know you've probably seen it where people just, you say Christian, you just said it, you tell people you're a minister and people get quiet, but, <laughs> but what do you think? Like, do you think that like, do you see the same thing? Like I'm seeing, I guess is the question. That's a really good question. Um, I think one of the reasons I'm drawn to you and friendship is is uh, springing up is because there's a commonality in some ways there with uh, like spiritual dynamics and emotional dynamics, and it's all connected. I mean, it's so tempting as we were raised, uh, maybe in some different ways than you and me, but to separate the emotions from the heart and spirituality from everything else and sacred and profane. But that's just an illusion. It's a, it's a, that leads to you know, a pretty um, kind of messed up way of seeing the world. Like, um, like that God is actually in everything. God is in the joy and the suffering, the sacred and the profane. And, and the, the idea that there is a sacred separate from the profane is, I, I don't know, it's, that's an, maybe a conversation for another time. But one of the things is I, I would never want to minimize your experience by trying to make it my own. 
Um, so even though there's some commonalities, there's this incredible vastness and un, un, incomprehensible mystery to what we're talking about here too. That the cavernous nature of our own souls mirrors that of God. That God is unexplainably vast and beyond words, beyond comprehension. Yet there is some sort of nature of uh, connection here and some movement towards wholeness going on here. No matter the trauma that was induced in that same God's name at another point in our life. So... Yes and no. Like there is a connection as I'm understanding you and I'm hearing you and um, it's beautiful and it's challenging. And you mentioned the word suffering, which is, it's, it's, that's a word that I think right now, especially I'm really finding, I don't really know what the hell that means to suffer. Um, I think I, it, suffering is something that everybody's experienced, though. And, you you know, it doesn't do any good to have guilt around, I haven't suffered as much as others, so I can't really talk about it. But Because everyone has. And everyone has, you know, what that thorn in the side type thing, that, that part of their life that is just, they can't, they can't put a three-step process or a pill and just knock it out. It's there. Like every single human has that, I, I, I would say, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like what I find in the Christian story is so compelling is that (laughs) and a broader narrative that's happening with the institution that was created in God's name, the Christian um, archetype, the Christian uh, institution, as we've talked about before, it is in the death phase right now in the West. I mean, there's parts of the world where, where Christianity is flourishing. It really is. And there's mega church movement is big in certain spots right now. And it's interesting now what, what happens now that coronavirus has come. We don't know. But still, in, in Asia and South America, um, Africa, there's parts of the Christian, parts of the world where Christianity is just booming and booming. But in, West, in the Western world, really struggling because the Christian story is no longer central. Um, you know, President Trump was elected by 81% of evangelicals because he told them he would fight to defend their way of life, which is, he knows that their, their power is leaving, that our, the evangelical Christian narrative is slipping so fast, and he'll continue to use that this time around. Um, and, you know, that brings up another thing. Like, I, I don't, well, that was scary when that happened. It was like, I don't want to be identified with, <laughs> with that. I hope I'm not offending anybody. But um, I don't want to be identified with that, even that word evangelical, what does that mean now and stuff. So I'm going off way more than what you asked, but um, (laughs) yes, there's a connection, but also I would never want to minimize what's happening in your life and your heart and and your your perception and relationship and interaction with God because it's so vast and unexplainable. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess the thing that I was really asking was, like as a minister, do you see the people like me? Because for me, like, I know, I believe that there's people like me only because my church had so many people. So there's, like, thousands of people that I think of. Not like, I know a thousand people's names. But there's, like, I can, I can, I believe that there's people that probably feel the same thing I do. And I just was, like, do you see that in church? Do you see that as a minister? Like, my kind of struggle. That's the kind of, that was the question. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, um... I would say um, it is not allowed to be 
brought out. Mm. I'm in a more, yeah, the, the denomination that I'm in, in the Methodist Church, is kind of known for allowing for a little more struggle and mystery and nuance to be there. Mm-hmm. But still, um, there are enough people kind of in a place of total certainty and not able to kind of know what to do with nuance and mystery and um, silence and suffering that it scares them to have someone come in and say, I don't know what I, I really want to connect with God and I want to find some practices to connect with God and, 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 and serve people and stuff, but I don't know what to believe about all this and I need some help. And I think it just, it's enough people are uncomfortable with it that the institution is in a place of protecting itself right now. And so those people are either pushed out or branded heretics or or just kind of it's left to be happening in like coffee shop conversations and stuff like that, trying to weave it in. I see it in people when they you get them one-on-one, they get vulnerable, they have it. But the institution itself, when you're in the, the corporate group, it's really challenging to be able to bring those themes out, at least in my experience, as much as I desperately want to talk about it. I think that's where spirit is moving and truth is happening. Um, so hope that answers your question. No, it does. I think we're constantly searching for answers in everything. There has to be an answer. And I think when, I think when you're dealing with matters of the faith, it's like that. I don't know if we'll ever really get answers because faith is so subjective to the person. But there has to be an answer. And the answer is probably in this book. I think that's what people are saying. Like, there has to be an answer, and the answer is going to be in here. And so, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Like, paradoxes are uncomfortable. Yeah. Like where we are in society right now is uncomfortable for a lot of people. Like there are things that we are dealing with that 18 years ago we weren't dealing with, or we were, but it wasn't in the forefront. Um, as you know, the inclusion of LGBTQ people, uh, trans, uh, you know, think, you know, those type of issues and, I think what's happening, or at least for me, what I saw is like, there might not be an answer per se in the Bible, but like my thought process was if there's one place that we can talk about these things, shouldn't it be with church and with Jesus and with God, with what I've seen from Jesus, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit, but I think it's incredibly hard and it's scary. It's scary for me to, not have answers. It's scary for me in the beginning to live and like be like, well, I don't know mm-hmm. when everything I'm taught was you'll find it in here, but there weren't answers coming from that. And so people just like you're saying, they just shut up and that's hard because for me, if I don't understand something and the person that I'm with doesn't understand something and those other people don't understand something like I feel so much more comfortable. Right. And I, I don't, I don't feel like I'm the only one thing that I mean, like that would to me would be the most freeing thing for an entire church. Like, look, I don't know, 
but let's talk about it. And why is it so hard? Because that's the thing that, that, so like when I started really saying, okay, God has a place in my life. I was like, but I can't go back to that, whatever that was. Because whatever that was, was very structured and very rigid. And Mm -hmm. that's painful because when I didn't fit in that, I mean, it was, you were, you were ostracized, you were cast out, you were told you're wrong, told you're not good enough, told you're not doing it right. Like, that's the last thing that I want in my life. And so I know that if I'm going to continue this, like there has to be an openness to the conversation. Um, so yeah, it's hard and, and it's so, it's just, I don't know. It's just sad to hear that and to see that, like, you know, let's talk about it. Let's just, let's just, let's just figure it out together. And it's like, it's hard. Why do you think that like, we can't figure it out together? I mean, is that something, I mean, I know that's, that's a big question for you, <laughs> but, but I've had a lot of a good bit of this whiskey right now. And so it's like, it's freeing. Yeah, so, that's what starts to get yeah. So I don't know. What do you think? Like, why is it so hard? Okay. The first thing that I think about, and I very quickly want to turn this back to you to ask you a question in regards to this. What's really beautiful is seeing people expecting you to have sort of a black and white approach, not doing that, um, kind of resisting the black and white answers, but not, not in a way that is full of cynicism and, and angst and like youthful writing or punk rock, but just like holding that mystery, like a posture of silence, a posture of non-anxious presence. And I spent a lot of my time with boomers. Um, that's the primary movers and shakers in the, the, the church that I work in. And they're, they're amazing. They get stuff freaking done in a way that is really admirable. And they've, they have been, have, have had career serving people and, and now moving into retirement. And so many of the, the when I, when you ask that, so many of the things I think about is those beautiful conversations when they're in the hospital because they are having a procedure or they've lost their mom or their dad or their, or they're in a time where they're just like, they've hit the mystery. They've hit, like, they've hit the, the place for like suffering. This doesn't make sense or whatever. And I'm here like half their age and it feels very holy and I feel very inadequate in those moments because, but it's just like, hey, just be silent. Just let them be in this moment. Just be present with them. And they'll say something about wanting to, they'll ask a question or, or be able to talk about things in a non-linear, more nuanced, less black and white way. And all of a sudden, there's like this openness, this trust that forms. And when the trust is formed, those very this is like two or three people. I'm not talking about on a mass scale, but a very few times, there's opportunity that is open for, okay, now I know your pain. And you know mine, because I share when they share. We have, like, I just tell them, honestly, if they ask, and those few encounters where I am as, as their pastor, that there's this really significant brokenness in my life, and, and here's part of my story. And anyway, that pain, that suffering has opened the door 
to see God entirely differently and to experience God entirely differently. And there's this inclusiveness and this openness and this freedom and this release of tension that comes from that. And then the, the next phase after we've lived in that trust for a few months is like, let's talk about what we've missed by boxing God in or church in or, or Jesus in or the Bible in. Let's talk about what's beyond that and, and let's stretch a little bit. And because there's a trust there and there's a pain that we've both touched on our own lives, there's a an, there's an willingness and ability to do so. So it happens not in the large setting, but in those relationships where there's deep trust, non-manipulation. And I, I want to ask you, Roy, like just knowing you and the beauty of your story and, and who you are, when you talk about re-engaging God in this way and spirituality in this way, how much of how much is there a fear in you of going back into the patterns that you talk about with such trauma and uh, and pain? You know, um, like there's going to be a default slip back into into some experience or community or 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 danger there. I'm wondering what you think about that. And, and um, yeah. Um, I think when I first started coming back to God, coming back to, to the conversation that this, this Chris, I, I guess I call it the Christian faith. Cause that's, that's, it's okay. I, yeah, it's Christian faith. It, it's what was the, where I, you know, it's the faith that you get through the Bible. Um, the fear was there, hundred percent. I rejected it heavily, and I can remember it was, you know, I bring up this guy, I bring up Rob Bell's name so much, and it's so silly, but but it was it was it was one of his. Rob casts and his little, I think he calls them little, his podcast episodes. He calls them sermons sometimes, but I remember like rejecting it 100% because it's like, nope, 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 nope. God, Christianity brought me nothing but heartache and pain and, and no, can't have that. And then it happened again. And then it happened again. And then it kept happening. No matter what I did, no matter where I went or what I was seeing, it would be a scripture that would come up that would impact me. Um, it would be something that someone would say. And then I realized, I guess the fear, I started to let go of the fear when I started to understand that like, like I don't have to, I don't have to call it anything. I don't have to, I don't have to do what I was before. Like I came to this conclusion or these things like out of pure unadulterated, um, curiosity and, and it just happened this way. And then that was when I was like, I was like, Oh Wow. So I don't have to have an answer. No, it doesn't have to look like this. No, it doesn't have to sound like that. And then, it, and it, I think it also was, so then once, let me pause. So then the fear started going away. And then I started praying and reading. And then it was, there was, there was more questions that were coming up. But I think what happened was there was less of a desire to give it form, give it 
an actual reason or answer and more of just like how does this how can I like fit this in with my life and kind of walk with it and see how see what I can see through this um but yeah the fear is always there um the fears there with having a podcast episode where we're talking about God the whole time. You know, what is this going to mean? Does this mean that I have to like start praying before each podcast? And I'm like, well, no, I can just have a conversation. Like this is all this is. And I think, so yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Great. yeah. And then I forgot what I was telling you, why I gave it to you. Uh, you, you talked about why you talked about, by the way, that was that was beautiful, and I appreciate you sharing it. And I identify with some of that. You talked about why it's so hard to talk about the struggle and mm-hmm. and the mystery of God and the and suffering and all these things that don't fit into sort of the institutional box that um, mm-hmm. many many find it. And and as I mean, statistics just show it's just like um, anyone Gen X Gen X or under is not connecting with the current expression. I mean, it, at least in the nomination I'm in, and 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 the Protestant church, the Protestant churches, mainline churches, and it's happening other places. Like in I know in New York City, like Hillsong Church and others are just doing a great job connecting with people who are who are of like younger expression and stuff. Um, but there's even question there as as like how and why that's happening, and and what what do we do with this whole Jesus narrative now that there's there's questions being asked. It's more of an open source. We were talking about this the other day, you and I. It's an open source wilderness now where people can explore on their own because of the internet and because clergy are becoming less centralized in the church and churches are having a harder, harder time <laughs> being resourced. And so it's becoming an open source conversation by conversation experiential thing. And there's some really beautiful things about that when you kind of um, take the... Uh, the professionalism out of the middle of like the bottleneck, you know, out of that. At the same time, we struggle like with leadership and structure. How do we, how do we do that in a more equitable, mutual way? And yeah, I, I mean, it's really interesting. And, and, um, you know, I also want to acknowledge talking about this mostly from an Anglo experience, you know, in the black church, which is sad that we have to say black church and white church, but it is the most divided hour still, you know. I would imagine still, even though we're online, on of the week is Sunday morning. And the brown church, um, that it's sad we have to say that, but um, th- that's my experience as sort of a Caucasian male in church. And it's kind of built for me. The Protestant church is built for me <laughs> to be a young white male. Mm-hmm. It's like I can kind of do whatever I want, to be honest. I mean, not whatever I want, but... Um, that, that's not the experience of so many. Mm-hmm. In those settings, it's not hospitable for people who are, aren't of that same dynamic or place in life. And that's part of what, like, there's some things that really need to die. And Jesus, I think, would say one of the questions you had written down was, why do we worship Jesus when we were actually meant to follow Jesus and become like Jesus? Mm-hmm. And instead of making it an idolized thing that involves one hour of worship with liturgy and very much structured, and then it's over, um, how do you, yeah, what do you do with that? And so I don't know where that leaves us in our conversation, but. 
Well, it kind of leads into the thing that I kind of really wanted to talk about. And it's, I think that what happens, it's, we, we've narrowed the view in, 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 in Christianity. If, if I, if I just, cause first off, never been to seminary. I only know what I know from the, the readings that I've done and, and like my own exploration, but the, the Christian story was narrowed into one specific thing. And even Richard Rohr talks about it in his book, Universal Christ. It was individualized salvation. The entire purpose of whatever we're doing, the only reason that Christian Christianity is there is because you got to get to heaven. So nothing else matters. But then to go back to your one point where it's like, it is pretty dope to be a white man in not just church, but in the world. And it's sad and terrible and incredibly destructive. But that's, and I think in, in church, it's great. It's just, it's been built for us because men sort of designed it that way, you know? And I think that if you look at, and this is where I'm, I'm going to bring it back to the narrow view of Jesus. If you look at how Jesus interacted with people or lived his life, if there's one thing that he did, everyone had a place. Everyone had a place. And that's incredibly powerful. And, and my friend Jim is, is this is kind of what kind of helped me in this. And he was supposed to be here and he's not, whatever. He had something he had to do. And, and I, I kind of, I know what I, I remember a lot of what he was saying. But like, Jesus reached across sort of this space that was built by people and met people sort of where they were at and gave Pete and it kind of, you could go from the woman at the well, the, uh, woman in chart, the adulteress, uh, Zach, is it Zacchaeus, the tax collector? Um, he went to the people that necessarily wouldn't have been, uh, of any worth to anyone and looked at them and talked to them and said that you mattered. And I think that for some reason we talk about it, but it was never in this viewpoint of like, well, that's what you should do. Like, what do you think sister? What do you think, you know, Sally instead of Jim, what do you think, you know, to whoever it was it was always it was just it was like lost for some reason and i don't know why because if you look at jesus's life he looked at people everyone had a place and that was so freaking powerful is that everyone has a place it's like a win-win scenario but for some and i think it's a western viewpoint because it's it's you know, it's been used and bastardized to allow for men to be the ones in charge. And everyone else can sort of fall by the wayside, which is what was so hard for me to see, because that's not that's not the message of Jesus. 
at no point was it for the few. At every point, it was for everyone. And so I think for me, that's why I read the Bible or that's why I look at God or that's why I look at this faith and say it has a place in my life. Because if there's one thing that needs to be said today is that there's place for everybody. And so, I don't know. You know, I think that's the big problem. That's the big thing we got to figure out. But I don't know. Um, I don't know. Does that answer your question? Is that (laughs) anything you want to add to that? Well, I I think what you're bringing up there, what you're touching upon is, ah, it's, um, it's, you know, the time that we're in, there's like a lot of shifts happening and and we're talking about the church, but it obviously it transcends that a cultural deep shifts and expansiveness going on. And what's amazing about the Bible is, is that it's written in the time when that was happening too. And there's a, there's a broadening happening. And what's so amazing about the Bible, and you mentioned Rob Bell, um, he does a really beautiful job in his book, um, the, what's it called? Uh, How to Read the Bible, a collection of poems and stories. and oh, what, is like. the Bible? what is the Bible? He talks about it. It's actually a pretty progressive book. Um, it's never really, uh, it, it's rarely ever allowed to be, demonstrated as that but if you look at and he does a beautiful job at explaining what he means by that if you look at just the story of like the sacrificing of a son like abraham sacrificing his son isaac that's actually a pretty progressive story it's not necessarily a story about god demanding a child sacrifice it's a, it's the end of child sacrifice in a time when that was common to appease the gods and so jesus carries that forward and like you mentioned, the woman at the well, him going to the woman at the well, who we characterize as a prostitute, but nowhere, nowhere in the story is that ever indicated. But that's how we rationalize that story. And and he goes to her at noon, noonday and talks to a woman who is Samaritan, who has had five husbands. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, at that time, if a husband didn't, like the, the law of the Jewish law, if a husband was unhappy with the way that his wife spoke he could just just divorce her it was very common for that if she was infertile she would be passed from man to man to man um and and so there's probably a lot more going on there that she's not a she's not a whore she's probably infertile or or something like that it's just trying to survive and and who does jesus go to and not the not the highest person in charge or the one with the most reputational societal emphasis or status he goes to her and he talks to her and he touches her and he drinks from her water, which is like so many no-nos at that time. And so the the continuation of the Christian narrative, and what's cool about it is that even though in my own life I, I find that I so often don't, don't do so well with that. I don't follow Jesus like I would really like to be. And I'm you know, just kind of dealing with that. But there's been expressions in the church where there has been amazing things happen because people continued in that vein of going to where there's the most ostracized person or people or group with a deep love and non-manipulative presence and create creativity and abundance 
and and getting in there and and providing some sort of different narrative way of life and not just meeting needs like as a as a savior but coming in to be with and among and learn from i mean you can name countless people and countless even great institutions the ymca the salvation army the red cross these things came out of people who followed jesus who wanted to be among the places and fill the gaps as christ did where um there was people just dying unnecessarily brutally and and um at the very bottom and so there is still expression of that you know and that's what's so amazing and there's this tension we exist with now and, and we've i've talked about this I did this several times this episode but the institution itself is trying to protect itself yet the spirit of it is is going to continue on it is trying to maybe separate or or outgrow that is what it what i think it feels like to me yeah um, I'm really glad that you brought up the book, What is the Bible? Because that's kind of the thing that kind of ripped it all apart for me, too. Um, because he, he talked, you know, it is it is progressive. Like, and he, he talks about reading the Bible with elevation. I love that, that this just kind of happened. I know that you didn't do that intentionally, like you were just sharing this, but he talks about reading the Bible with elevation in a lot of ways that could be like looking at the Bible through a historic lens, like what was happening at the time, you know? And for example, like with my friend Jim, what he was talking about was like what Jesus was doing was incredibly powerful and progressive because if you got sick, if you, anything like that, you were immediately cast out. Any kind of sickness meant death, for example. Didn't matter. That's just, we did, they didn't have medicine. They didn't have real doctors. You had a cold. You had leprosy. Anything like that. I mean, you had your freaking period. You were cast out. You couldn't because it was like, no, you couldn't be anywhere because, and there were sanitary reasons where we could come up with that, but whatever. I'm not trying to like focus on that, but it was like sickness meant death. But like Jesus would just go to these people and I, and, it, and it was like, it was so powerful because it went against everything that everyone was taught. If you really look at it historically, like no one would go to anyone sick. They were just, okay, they would just throw you out the door Bye. it was nice to know you. But Jesus went the extra mile when really he might've just given them water or given them food. And we know for a fact that in most sicknesses, if you're, if you're dehydrated or you're not eating, you're probably going to die quicker. And maybe it was just that one little act that help people. And so that's why it's so powerful. That's why it's so progressive. That's why it matters to put that, to put Jesus in our conversation of today. Um, and so we have to look at it that way. And with regards to the Abraham story with him sacrificing his son, historically, the people that were around their gods always required sacrifices. And that was it. But God was, they were using that story to say that this God was different. Like this God was a God that didn't require that. That he would step in for you. And he would provide. And that's why that message was so powerful. And it's so cool to think about that. And it's so cool to think about, like, I don't know, just, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful thing to to have a God that would do that. And, and that's why 
he took off like wildfire back then. Um, but I wanted to come back because you were talking about, I think, people always fear an agenda with someone. And so we talk about the woman at the well. And for me, in my church, that story, I always remember it as um, go to the people that you see on the fringes. They might need Jesus more than you or more than the other people. And it was always an agenda to like individualize salvation. It was never to, to see what they really needed, what they really wanted. Looking at them as a person, they were all just these broken creatures that needed Jesus to fix them. And I'm not saying that, I don't know, that's such a harsh thing to say, but, but like, I don't know, like, I, I just never felt like Jesus had an agenda. And... I missed out on that. I think we're all missing out on that. Um, we're, we're like, we're making him the empire, you know? So, and he was anti that. And that's what's so mind boggling for me. Because if you look at the story, it's like everything is saying the opposite. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I remember one of my former pastors said, Jesus will be no one's mascot. <laughs> and I thought that was so powerful that um, she was talking about um, the way we try to, to take Jesus as our banner in a particular party, a political party, or a particular vein, or, or progressive movement, or a traditionalist movement, or whatever. We try to say that we own that. We own that space. And isn't that so common, and not just among Christians, but among like the American story, among sort of more of the Western progressive even story of the, the more of the industrialized nations. We colonize the shit out of things. And we just don't, we don't even know we're doing it. It's unconscious. And, and so yeah. to allow, and Jesus I think is so amazing because the moment we think we've, used Jesus flag as our own personal salvation story or our own personal like we got it right he's not there anymore he's like no I'm gonna be I'm gonna be down here with the very people you're pushing out to, to hold up my flag like just go ahead and burn that thing because I'm not there anymore you know I'm I'm constantly going towards the bottom and Richard Ward talks about the path of descent mm -hmm. as the yeah. way of salvation it's 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 and even in our own lives it's like yeah, it's not about becoming more and more familiar with power and a way up, and and this this sense of like in the Western world, this like self motivation culture, this like you got to be the best you can, just be awesome today, be freaking awesome today, and Jesus comes and he's like, no nah, man, it's like I'm not gonna find you in your awesomeness, I'm gonna find you in your ache, like you talked about so long ago at the very beginning here. It's it's in when you can get that very vulnerable ache and that suffering that just. I'm just going to be there. There's a drawing in of, in the Christian narrative, the incarnation speaks to that. It's like, I'm going to come into your world right where the very most painful part is and, and kind of integrate myself into that part of your life. And that might, might sound absurd to some people as they listen to this, uh, but that's been my experience. Mm -hmm. It's not been in the highlights. The, those, those points have been special and they've come at very beautiful times, you know, holding my, 
which is interesting. You talk about holding my kid came from someone else's extreme pain, yeah. <laughs> right? Just a few moments before that. But like, um, I don't know. I, I think that why in, in the Western world we associate the Christian story, we try to force the Christian story to be one of upward mobility and try to make it one where it justifies uncontrolled wealth and consume, con, uh, compulsive spending and and um, not looking inward at our life, not getting vulnerable, not being honest. And, and it just doesn't work. The Christian story just falls apart and unravels because it wasn't made to be a story for the upwardly mobile. It just wasn't. It was made to include them, but it was made to even things out. And the church is this beautiful vehicle where it's a place where hospitality can happen among intersections of life that maybe would never happen in any other place. From, from ethnic to spiritual to economic to different places in life to come around the table and feast together. That's a beautiful image, and that's what compels me to keep coming back as a, as a minister in this place. And, and actually, I find it really compelling and creative right now because because we're closer to that, 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 that conversation of death as an institution, you can get really creative. Things are not as – there's more permission right now. And people are willing to try things and see things differently. And so it's a very much a blank canvas, it feels like. So I don't know. Uh, like earlier today, I was like, why the heck am I doing this? I don't, uh, it's not feeling this. I, I don't feel very authentic. And then there's other times where I feel like, wow, this is like, I'm able to ex- experiment and express now in ways that probably very, very hard to find in other, you know, occupations. Yeah. I think... In a lot of ways, we kind of want the easy way. I think, I don't know, the Jesus story, if you look at it, or, or the Bible, if you look at it, it very much can give you that, that it can give people this, if you do A and B, you're going to get C. For example, if you, if you get baptized, if you do everything like it says in the Bible, then guess what? You'll get to, you'll get heaven. And that's very amazing for people. Like that's freeing for some people. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we have to like, like it's maybe, especially in the West, I don't know what it is about us in America, but it's, it's that feeling of like, there's going to be, there's a consequence to your actions there's winners, there's losers. Someone has to pay. And you can find, and that's what's so powerful in the Bible, is you can find every scripture to, to back that up. You can take Jesus' life to back that up. He fucking died because you masturbated when you were 13. Okay? So someone has to pay. Yeah, every time you masturbate, you're putting another nail in Jesus's, you know, and and that's, I'm taking it crass because that's literally, but see, like, after you, because there's power in forgiveness, there's power in knowing that someone paid the price for that, and I'm free. You know, it's the same thing, why it's so powerful for people in prison, for people on death row to know that someone can forgive them. Like that's, oh my God, like of course, yes. 
And there's a place for that. There is a place for that for people to let go of things that they've done and to move on. And I think Jesus knows, knew that. And that's, that's, and that's, again, we can look at the Bible the same way and see it that way. And that's, what's so mind blowing. And so it, it's, but it just become, I mean, it becomes, it's become here in the West, in America, a definitely a win-lose scenario. There's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. And guess who the winners are? Mostly white people and mostly men. But it's, that's just, that's just how it is. And there's, there's so much comfort in that. And that's, <laughs> I must say this, but that's okay for people. If that's where it is, I mean, it's okay. But I have a problem when that's the dominant story. You know what I mean? Like, that's the dominant story because that's what people see when they see Christianity. And that's what people see when they read the Bible. And that's what I saw is there is no place for me. And I'm a broken piece of shit because some girl in a garden ate an apple. You know what I mean? Like, you know, oh, so crazy. doesn't it though? Like if you were to tell someone from another planet that. Yeah. What? <laughs> Say that what you're saying. I, I, don't just, know if got picked up. I just said, if you were to tell someone that from another planet, who's never heard that, that the narrative of more of a, yeah, like a nineties, eighties, nineties, modern kind of not modern, but, um, thing about that, the narrative of the garden of Eden to be like, how does eating a piece of fruit mean I'm going to die? <laughs> Yeah, and it's it, and you know, original sin. I mean, that comes from original sin, and that's was it Augustine, Augustus, or in the fifth century, and that comes from manipulation and control. And we can go into that, but I think that. So the the thing, because it's it's kind of cool how this is happening again, because this is kind of what I wanted to talk about, but it's just so mind boggling for me because if you look at the Bible with elevation, like let's take the Bible from start to finish. Okay, from Genesis to Revelation. You have a book that starts out incredibly violent, right? There's an, an incredibly exclusive, where only a certain people can have this, can have a relationship with God, the chosen people, right? And then within that, there are all these rules, expectations, things you have to do exactly and that violence is carried through almost the entire, almost, it's more than half, halfway through the Bible. You know, and there's always these, these certain people trying to overtake the people that were excluded. Okay, and it's violence, the cycle of violence. They either conquer the people and they flourish, then all of a sudden someone takes it from them and then they're conquered, then they're they take it back and this constant thing. But then all of a sudden Jesus comes and then it goes from this incredibly inclusive, violent religion to an incredibly nonviolent, inclusive religion that wasn't just for this certain amount of people, but is available for everyone pretty easily, right? That's tearing down this empire. And 
I just don't like, it's just crazy that we can, that entire churches are built on the exact opposite. They, they don't even, it's like, they don't even see that, that, that like that, that the, it just changes, you know, and, and it's for everyone and it's a lot easier than we think. So I don't know where, where it happened and how it happened. I don't know if you've ever seen it that way or if you've ever thought like that. Um, my first time I wrote down Jesus is the original rage against the machine. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I'm going to just reiterate someone much smarter than me, prolific than me, Richard Rohr, which talk, we talked about so much, but, and I'm sure Richard Rohr would not be comfortable with us talking about him so much because he's so humble, but yeah. he says, Jesus did not come to change God's mind about us. He came to change our mind about God. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, there's different theories of how and why Jesus had to die or Jesus, that Jesus chose to die. That we've talked a lot about that. And people who listen to this are probably very smart and came to things quicker than me. But it took me a long time to, just to come to the realization that there's some other way to see the cross and see Jesus than a penalty for my sin. Because God is so pissed off and he's going to kill me, Jesus took that place for me. That was the only narrative I was exposed to. And not because the adults around me were, were mean. They were trying to really love me and express that to me. And it was very meaningful to me uh, for most of my life, uh, for a good part of my life. Um, and it was very meaningful to think that Jesus was that compassionate for me personally, that I could connect with God like that through Jesus. And, and then I started to, yeah, I started to kind of unravel that. What the heck? How does that make sense? And, you know, and you see that there's a lot of people asking that question as there are probably st- still many who are. So, so Jesus taking on humanity's injustice and the patterns of death um, and the patterns of destroying, uh, you know, gaining success on the backs, literally the backs and blood of the poor at the bottom. And very much a culture that Jesus was born into, there's just some similar, very similar patterns. And there's been books written on this, and there's been other people who really disagree that there's some similarities between how we see the world built today and the country we live in and and the context of that. And I'm sure each generation can find themes in that story, in the scripture story of, of that. But that we might not be consciously aware of how much we benefit from standing on the backs of those around the world who keep our lifestyle afloat. And so that kind of unraveling of that, it's like Jesus comes into a narrative much like that and, and exposes it for what it is through this crazy act of nonviolent resistant death and execution and public execution. And you mentioned the death penalty and how, like, man, we should really be against that as Christians, no matter what. But, like, this, Jesus comes into a system like that in this public display of, 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 of execution to expose the human heart and its human system and the human agenda and the ego for what it, what it can do in its most unabandoned, what it's going to do in an unchecked fashion, you know. That makes Jesus way more compelling to me than just like a ransom for sin to, to, to appease a really angry God upstairs. Mm-hmm. That makes Jesus way more compelling and it opens things up so vastly for me, you know. 
Yeah, and I think it opens it up for me as well because, you know, when you think about Jesus is if if Jesus' only reason to come on this earth was just for salvation, then that takes this this that 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 just makes God so small. Really. Yeah. It does. It does. And and of course, no, has no place in my life. Mm-hmm. Because I think like that's it. That's it. Real that's it. I think we missed the fucking point. Because I don't think it was just about that. Like ah and it just drives me crazy because It's like the only thing that matters. So instead of free, so instead of that, so let me backtrack. My mind right now is going like ninety miles an hour, and I have to like take a second to slow it down because we're literally like we're talking about all these things and it's so crazy and awesome and I love how this works and this like just being in this conversation because you know at 27 before i left i couldn't be in this space mm-hmm. with people that's real man you know like this space was damning mm-hmm. this space was you're not looking at the bible so right you're yes yeah, so much fear um because so like let's take it so like what <laughs> so jesus was here for salvation and so what ends up happening it, for me, what I saw is, okay, you believe in Jesus. He died because you masturbated. And then you go get baptized and you say, I'm sorry, or whatever. And then instead of freeing you, there are now all these things that you can't do and you can't experience. And I'm not saying, like, you, it in essence puts you in even more chains. Because you're constantly worried about getting off of this track that you're on. And so when I talk about getting back to God, there was that fear for me, of course, that I'm going to live in this. Because I don't think that's, the, how can that be the, the, the end game? Like, that sounds terrible. And I'm not saying that it does because I just want to go out and, do all the drugs, have sex with all the women and do all that. It's just, it closes off so much of life and also closes off so much that really needs our fucking attention. And we missed a point. And I think he is showing, like he is, it is compelling. Like I think I'm constantly asking the question, what was the purpose of the cross? Because when I look at it, it's almost like Jesus saying, this is what you want. Look, this is what happens. If this is what you want, I'll give it to you, but are you prepared for what's coming next? Yeah, he even asked. You know? Is there Go, ahead. Way? Go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, no, but he even asked, like the night before, is there any other way this can happen? You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's just like this moment of terror that Jesus so vulnerably expresses as any human being would. Um, and so wrestling with the cross... And letting go of what we would call the substitutionary atonement and letting that slip away and kind of letting it be what it, unanswered, I think is okay for a, for a long season of life, especially when you've just been hammered in 
to it yourself or from others that it's 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 a ransom. There's no other way to see it. Uh, as a, and to and to even ask that question is you becoming heretical um, and you damning yourself to hell. Um, so clearly that's malarkey. Um, but but that that's where a lot of people are and where we were, you know. And so I I guess having compassion for that narrative is important for me, you know, right now. Like, all right, just like. Hold on, Andrew. Like you're not, you don't have everything figured out. Your pride's kind of kicking up here. Like that's some people really find a lot of meaning and hope and a pattern of life in that. That's very beautiful, and it keeps them in a pattern of love somehow. I mean, I I don't quite understand that, but um, that's that's what's so amazing here is that God doesn't need like some enlightened people to make things happen. That's not how God has ever worked in the Christian narrative. It's not been the ones with the most put together in any way. <laughs> it's always the yeast and the bread, just the ones that can't figure out the weed, that can't be controlled, that it spreads uh, in this way that, and, and what we can do is kind of, like I just think it's beautiful to think that what if there is a significant like embrace in this life just beyond our consciousness, yeah. this love like that is with us. Or that is accessible to us at all times. That, that never can that can never separate us. Like the scripture says, like they never be separated. No life or death or disease or debt or famine or or persecution of any kind or um, ostracization or anything. What if? And then from there, I guess the next question for me is like, what does it look like, or what does it mean to engage with that, and to, and maybe just to open to it, and whatever expression of spirituality that might mean, and. Um, and, and, and even to trust it and to begin to be molded by it and to allow it in closer. I don't know, man. That's like, I could never, that's just so amazing to me to think. And, you know, I, I think, you know, from a purely like scientific analytical perspective, the, maybe the answer would be, well, there's not, it's just outside of our consciousness, chaos. Like if things, if you actually submerge yourself in the nature and experience the, the chaos and death of nature, it's not like loving. <laughs> like nature yeah. is not there to like and love you and embrace you and and stuff like that. So so the Christian narrative is that like every living thing is made in God's image and that there is a loving presence that's just beyond our ability to really really comprehend it. But if we were to comprehend it, then some of these great mystics of the tradition, Saint Teresa of Avila, um, Saint Teresa of Lisieux, um, just some of these amazing people throughout history who haven't, um, I don't know, have just expressed in some beautiful ways and experienced this loving presence. And it and it happens, I don't know, man. I, I think that's a really compelling thing to think for me about at this point in life. Well, I think that's why a lot of people walk away from the Christian narrative because there's no connectedness. Really, I mean it, it. If you do all of these things, but what's so funny is, I guess for me, all the rewards were like later. Like all the rewards of this work that I was supposed to be doing, were later. And I think that's what's so attractive, you know, to all these other philosophies and spiritual traditions. Because they tap into, one, we are divinely created and we are inherently good. 
which Christianity doesn't say that, because a woman ate an apple off a tree. Yeah, one interpretation. So that we're not inherently good. That we're not all connected. It's for a little bit. Because, you know, the big passage that we would always, you know, when, when we would have a, a conference, you know, narrow is the path that leads to salvation and wide is the path that leads to destruction, which goes to the inclusive nature or exclusive nature. I'm sorry. Exclusive nature of it. So the Christian narrative when people look at it, they are like, no, nah, I don't want no part of that. And I think, so yeah, it's it's hard. And I think that if there's one thing that I'm seeing as I look, and, and it really does. So I think I have to say that like to really, to where I'm at, took a lot of fucking work <laughs> that it's a lot of fucking work i think that a lot of therapy first off um a lot of reading i mean there's books all over my bookshelf that it took but but like taking that time and that work and looking at it, it it's like I'm seeing how there's a place for this in my life now. Um, and I'm seeing that, you know, it's, it's, it is progressive and I'm not trying to, and I think the, the cool thing where I'm at now is it's like, I don't, I don't care if you agree or disagree like for me. And I think that's the beauty of this. And, and I think that's, what I, I wish I would have had for such a long period. Like, I wish I had this when I was nine. You know, this 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 viewpoint of myself. I, I'm talking to a good friend of mine, and he's saying that his son is at this age where he's trying to have a relationship with God. He doesn't know what it is. Yeah, but, he, but he's noticing this thing, and he's like, you know, what is this God that we go to church for and all these things? And he's like, it's like, how do I foster this like him to have this love and this connectedness to God without all the shit that we went through. And I was like, yeah, you know, cause like, you know, my first thought was like, <laughs> God thinks I'm a piece of shit, <laughs> you know? Totally depraved. Yeah. I mean, I'm taking it very depraved, but like, that's kind of like, that's my first thoughts of God, mm. you know? And I think about like how so all I can think so many people feel this, you know, it's just hard, you know, it's just, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I want more people to be at the place where I'm at now. Not that, that I'm like, I don't have the answers, but. There's a peace that I have when I look at the Bible now. A peace that I have when I think about God. There's a peace that I have when I think about I don't need to know the answers. And then I can sit with the paradoxes. So, I don't know. I think that we want the answers so bad. We want to know what's on the other side. That's like the human condition.
what does it all mean? I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever find out, but I know the first thing I know is that if you're going to try to figure out what does it all mean, the last thing I want someone to do is feel like they're not loved or they don't matter, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the first step of anything. I don't know. You talk some. (laughs) I don't know. I just really like hearing your expression. And I think the curiosity that you embody is is really beautiful. It makes me take pause and check like, really need to be more curious about these things and not and less resistant to my own background even even though that sounds odd as someone who's a minister who's supposed to be the sort of orator of religious ceremonies and stuff people are really i'm finding in my experience out quote unquote in the field is people are much more drawn to my experience of doubt and my vulnerability of being able to say i just haven't quite got this figured out then they are another person come along telling them how they should live a better life or be better parents or make more money and uh, stuff like that and do more do more so um i i have heard about the story of these two great sort of people who put a lot of time and like you mentioned into their own experience of trying to integrate themselves in a healthy way a lot of time in silence and meditation and and people who i who i really look up to in my life and um become a a sort of an archetype of an adult who's very much a a balanced person someone who's deeply compassionate and centered and very very present in the moment like that's what i want to be like i don't want to play the game that we're all supposed to play i want to be like present with people sort of another wavelength than sort of what we're all supposed to be. That's kind of like, I sense these people, and I was listening to them talk, these two older older men that were in another church that I was a part of that sort of embodied this incredible compassion. And they both had incredible suffering in their life. And I asked them the question, like, what, what has it been like, like experiencing God in a personal way, and like meditation and, um, and uh, just silence? And they, they looked at each other, and they just supposed to her to cry because, and they, I kind of let that moment there. I want to interrupt that, but I asked them about that. And after a little bit of time, and they said, we both, both experienced this love, this presence. And there's no way to, there's no way to put that into words. Like there's no, no logical answer to that question. But I just, this love had shaped and formed them in this compassion um, there whatever that might mean and i think that's what is amazing about jesus is like it's about whatever makes you more loving <laughs> and love love more it really is like as trivial or as trite as it might be sound to say it really is about like love and becoming love and expressing and living in love um and if that's found i mean <laughs> if you can't find that in a church or in a christian narrative maybe it's time to step away a little bit you know maybe it's time to do that and I think someone gave me permission to do that a long time ago. And so permission to say, you know what, I got to let go of this for a little while. I got to stop reading the Bible for a little while <laughs> instead of being supposed to or obligated to. But also maybe I need to learn about some other traditions and, and see what's really there, what truth and beauty are there. 
And I would imagine people who listen to this aren't folks who are maybe in that boat. Maybe, I don't know, but um, maybe I'm trying to be, maybe I need to step off soapbox and not be a pastor. But I just am really compelled by your curiosity and where that goes when you're just open to what, where, where spirit truth energy is leading in, in life and, and seeing where that might lead, you know? So it's been, it's been a joy, man. Yeah. I think it's like, um, if you do a thousand things one way and it doesn't work, you know, it's kind of like time to, it's like what you're saying. Like you got to try something else. And I think one that takes courage to step back. It does. It takes a lot of fucking courage to to let go of something especially if you're i know you were you know you've been a part of the christian narrative for a long time most of your life right you were mm-hmm. even as a kid same yeah. with me i mean i was born into it mm-hmm. and i think you have to be willing to let go you, yeah. letting go because <laughs> cuz it just it just wasn't working for me and it's like you're saying, and I just, I had to step away. I had to let go of it because I knew it was killing me. It was like killing me to do that. And I would never fault a person for not letting go because it's really scary to, to step back from something that you've spent your entire life trying to, to figure out. Um, but you have to let go and you have to realize that you have to be willing to find truth wherever you find it, you know, mm-hmm. to, to wander in that ship in the vast sea looking for truth. You know, like you said that one time, just floating around trying to find it. Um, it always does come back to love for me at the end of the day. Um, when you look at Jesus, people were always better after interacting with him. Because he cut, you know, he found a way to get to the heart, you know, and to make people feel like they mattered, to make people feel like they were loved, to make people feel like they were cared for. And there's freedom when you know that you matter to somebody. You know, there's this like also this confidence that you can try, you can live, you can make something of yourself, you know. Yeah, and and to feel that you've been forgiven as well, there's a freedom in that. Um, so it's powerful. So I guess to think to 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 bring it all back to something. To bring it all back to like the purpose, like I think for like my life and balance and things like that. It's like you know. You can't be like, I can't be afraid to come back to the Christian narrative if I find truth in it. Like, that's okay. I just can't let myself get so attached to form. You know what I mean? Like, like, like it being something, you know, because, because my view of things is totally different. And, and that's, what's so cool. Like, you know, I don't care what people say. Like to me, that's, what's so cool about looking at the Bible 
and reading this, I mean, we're talking about one book that's been, I mean, there's thousands of books written about it and thousand different people talking, you know, like so many ways to, to, to look at this. And if anything, I don't know, I want to continue with it. But I think we can't continue with it if it is an exclusion, if there is an exclusion aspect to this search. I think that's for me, there's no balance in that. There's no truth in that. If this isn't for everybody, then what's the point? Yeah. Um, and it's not something I want to teach my son. Yeah. It's not, yeah, you know, like, so... Yeah, pretty wild. One, one thing I just want to add that maybe it would be helpful to make some sort of like place. I don't know if you're if the Balance Mail has a website or a landing page or something, but if people want to know more about resources or podcasts or documentaries or books or authors or artists that are that are entering that chat that that ache that you said, mm-hmm. maybe in a in a Christian narrative that are trying to broaden that out. And, and, and widen it in China. There's a lot of cool things happening right now in that space that I don't know if people might be aware of or not. Um, so if that's something that would be of interest, I'd be glad to pull some things together or ask some other friends too to throw some thoughts in. We've talked about a lot of different things. You and I, you probably have a lot of great things that I need to know about too. But that's a, there's a really exciting space there of that tension happening now and people having permission in this sort of open source way. So that'd be a really compelling experience, conversation or thing to. Yeah. I think the first thing for, you know, I can, the books that have helped me, you know, I think, uh, I can definitely put that out in links. Um, this whole podcast thing is new to me too. So we're, we're, I'm figuring it out as we go along, but yeah, I think, um, providing resources is something I can help. And I think if anybody else has resources, I'd love to hear it, you know, and I think, uh, yeah, the, I think that if there's one thing I want to, if there's one like maybe last thought is like, you know, the other side can be really fun. The other side can be very enlightening. The other side can be very empowering if you let it, if you let yourself, you know, kind of like plug in a little bit and that's what I just started doing it's just like little by little plugging into the you know to what is this and and, and not being afraid of the questions you first really have I mean it's the same thing with like when it comes to like self-care you know that's the big word now everyone's you know self-care is the big thing but like asking yourself what you need is a very powerful thing a very scary thing and a very it takes a lot of courage to ask yourself that because we're not allowed to do that really in life is to ask ourselves what we need um but i think you, you know you have to have the courage you also have to have the faith that it, you know if you're if you're going with your gut if you're following like if something doesn't feel right to you and you move away from that into something you have to have the faith that this the right decision um, because if, if that, if that like gut feeling like this doesn't feel right, if it's like rooted in love and rooted in like, um, 
don't want to say the human condition, but yeah, rooted in love, then it's probably, if you're going that it's probably the right way to go. Um, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Does it make sense? It makes sense yeah. To me. Okay. I think you're onto something. <laughs> um, yeah, we've been we've been talking for about an hour and a half now about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and um, wow. I think that. Yeah, I think if there's one, th- you know, the last thing I want to say is I think that the last thing we should do is make Jesus the empire. And I think that if we're taking bits and pieces of something and developing an entire and our whole like foundation on that, I think it's just it's just destined to fail. And we have to we have to look outward some. Look at things with elevation. Be objective. And what's the big picture? Because I think the big picture of our lives is not just to, it's not about individual salvation per se. I think it's more about healing. Like that's the message of Jesus is healing. And that's why for me, that brings me balance in my life to focus on that because I want to heal and I want to help people heal. Um, and that's pretty dope to get behind, like a movement of healing, a movement of like helping people see that they matter, of reaching the people, like meeting people where they're at, like talking with people without an agenda, you know, like, like that's awesome. And I want to get behind that. And I think more people would get behind that. Mm-hmm. So any last things you want to say? No, just thank you. I feel so much gratitude that I was even invited to have this conversation and um yeah I, I don't know I'm just really grateful for this. Yeah. Hopefully we'll have more talks of this. Maybe it'll be more uh we'll see what other like cool <laughs> cool things that we're like thinking about or discussing about with with regards to God, spirituality and yeah, all of this. Yeah. I guess my hope is that you guys can see that it, it's not that I have the answers, but that I just want to have the conversation. And I think the conversation is willing to be had or should be had. And uh, life's a giant conversation. It moves and it grows and we have to be willing to move and grow with it. So until next time, guys, be excellent to each other and you'll hear from me soon. <laughs> Whoa, that was so easy.